0: I think that the black men have just compartmentalized mental health and it was frowned upon, you know, just growing up. You know, if you were mentally ill, you were considered weak. You were considered less of a man during that particular time
1: welcome to the brother be well podcast i'm leon Gidry from 97.5 kdee and this podcast for boys and men of color addresses the importance of mental health and wellness each week we deliver inspirational stories and life hacks to reduce disparities remove stigma heal trauma and to end prolonged suffering hi
2: everyone i'm KN smith i'm the founder of Mental Health California, and the project director for Brother Be Well. And tonight we are talking with an exceptional group of men who have a focus on wellness for boys and men of color. And we're going to be focusing on men and mental health, particularly for African-American men. Uh, so considering the time frame of approximately 10 years between the onset uh, of mental illness and treatment and recovery, Uh, There's quite a gap sometimes in people seeking treatment. So we want to explore the reasons behind this and why are men so slow to come to mental health care sometimes and how our community can come together to support their very own. And joining me in this discussion is our content director for Brother Be Well, Michael P. Coleman. We appreciate you being here, Michael. It's great to see you.
3: Anytime, Christine. Great to be here. Looking forward Great. to uh, beginning this conversation, and we're joined by um, several folks that we're quite excited about. We've got Carter Todd with us today. He's the president of the Capital City Black Nurses Association. Carter, how's it going? All right, all right. Good to, good to see you. We've got Michael Gant, Brother B. Wells' own Michael Gant. He's a, a fabulous contributor and a peer specialist for Brother Bwell. Michael, how are you? I'm fine. How are you? I'm fantastic. Thanks. And we're also joined by Dr. Michael Houston. He's a Brother Be Well clinical advisor and friend to all of us. How are you doing, Dr. Houston?
0: Doing good, sir. Good to be here. Thank you.
3: Really looking forward to the talk. I know everyone's busy, so we'll be respectful of your time, but we've got a, a few questions that we want to unpack tonight. And as we get started, I think I want to look back just a little bit. Um, historically speaking, why have men of color Dealt with mental health, rather, how have they dealt with mental health historically?
4: Well, historically, as far as you know, as far back as I can remember, even thinking about you know, um, you know my father, who was a World War II vet, um, it, it, you know, of course, it was years before I and many other family members realized he had he had been going going through anything because you know um, he the, the the things he saw the deaths he saw, um, you know, he, you know, he, you know, he, he didn't sleep well. He cried at night, but if you, if you talk to him about it, he was, he, he would just say it wasn't, you know, nothing, nothing was wrong, you know, and, and, and he go on about, uh, about life discouraging um, any questions about his past. And uh, he, you know, he had, a, you know, he had a hard time dealing with it uh, from, for many, many years. And of course, uh, I grew up to emulate him more than I more than I wanted to, um, actually followed in his footsteps, you know, going, joining the army, you know, um, I, you know, I, I raised a family. And at first I tried to raise a family like he did till I realized what I was doing. Um, I later, I I later talked to some people, talked to some friends and, and learned how to uh, actually, uh, raise my children and, uh, thank God I did. You know, I have, I have, I have four great children, and um, it, it's a pattern that I've seen from you know from from friends in the neighborhood, uh, you know, other relatives, uh, people that I've met into the met in the army. We all we all ended up in, the, in, in running from something, leaving, trying to get away from something, and uh, and you know, it'd be behaviors just continued until I got to a point where I found out that I was suffering from um, um, mental disease and I had to learn how to do something about it. And what I did was at first trustee, you know, the, the clinicians where, you know, where all they wanted to do was give, give me pills. And when I found out that uh, that wasn't, that wasn't working and I wasn't really getting the adequate support that I, that I needed, I fought for years to get, uh, so get, get their, their, a therapist and, and a psychiatrist that I could really work with. And today I have, I have both and uh, they're, you know, they're, they're really helping me and they're really proving that they're about my uh, progress. And, you know, so I've, I've come a long way w- with their help. I stopped taking medications for three years and, and just recently got back on them, but I agreed to talk it over with the psychiatrist and we discussed what we, we discussed with he, um, uh, He thought I should take. And after after doing some of my own homework, I decided to do it. And and I I see that it is helping. I'm taking medication for mood and I see that it's helping. You know, so I think, you know, one of the things I want to make sure that people understand is while I didn't take medications. I'm not against it. I think medication is good for those who truly need it. And it's all it's up to us to determine whether whether or not we need it
3: doctor thanks for sharing that story michael it's a powerful one I'm, I'm curious um um to ask our experts how michael's story may or may not dovetail with the way men of color have traditionally or historically dealt with mental health uh maybe start with carter what do you have to say on that
2: yeah so again thank you for sharing that that's why i think it's important that you know the narrative gets held by ourselves and we get the word out there um from the historical sort of perspective i think men Black men specifically, you know, folks have been taught or imaged to to kind of suppress their feelings, right? And we fall back on this masculine self-reliance. We get back into our work, we get back into, um, you know, caring for our family being providers and not really um, combating the mental health issues that we're finding. So I think historically, black men suppress it. And that's difficult to do because as we all know, when it comes to your mental health, until you um, acknowledge, until you spend the work and the time, it's not going. It's not something that just will go away, right? If, if you have a cancer and you don't treat it, it's not going to just go away. So, mental health, I think, for black men historically, has been treated as such that if you just uh, put it under the rug, we don't have to worry about it. Wow, wow. And what about you, Doctor Houston?
0: Yeah, I, you know, I, I, I mimic the same sentiments. I think that the black men have just compartmentalized, you know, mental health. And it was frowned upon, you know, just growing up where, you know, if you were, you know, mentally ill, you were considered weak or, you know, you were considered less of a man. And then and, and at that particular time, you were looked upon as, you know, weird or somebody that was strange and you were ostracized even the more so during that particular time. Whereas now I think that that the image has changed. And I think that Black men specifically have basically taken the position to taking care of their kids. I think that the research shows, even with uh, men of color taking care of their kids, even the more so, and giving back to their kids what they didn't receive. So, you know, you see more men now, and and with that, you have a transition of power from the women let's say if it's black women to to now black men the mm-hmm. power exchange of who's going to be the caregiver and what's um what's what's the household going to look like um that's a shift is in power as well and um with black men dealing with now all of these you know separate responsibilities taking care of the household taking care of his kids um um That, well, I think that that is, I'm not going to say that that's something that uh, is extra because the black men should be doing that anyway. But I think that as a result, it has created a gateway for our young black men now to be able to express themselves freely, to be able to make these particular stands and um, be more affectionate. So hugging, telling you, you know, telling them that that we love them, hugging, um, all of those different affectionate things that didn't per se happen. Let's say in the '80s, or you know, it kind of gradually happened, progressed in the '90s, and now in the you know 21st century, um, we're seeing that as normal now, whereas before it wasn't.
3: The question that I had when I when I took a look at at our topics for today. I I thought about denial, and I also thought about, from a historical perspective, the church and what role faith organizations play. Do do any of you have thoughts about how decades or generations ago, in lieu of seeing mental health professionals, men of color and African-American men may or may not have reached out to that faith community? Any thoughts about that? Go ahead, Dr.
0: Um, I I think that uh, we actually used the faith community as our means of counseling. That was our kind of like our go-to that was considered safe, you know, back then. And um, until uh, they made us mad, (laughs) the preachers or somebody made us mad, then uh, we would hear it, but we would only hear so much. And once we got basically fed, then typically you know, black men would
3: stop going until they needed it again. Appreciate it. Appreciate it. It's an important perspective, I think. Um, Another question, and and, um, Christine mentioned this when she opened up for us. I, I learned of this fairly recently, the average 10 year period of time that exists between the onset of mental health issues and conditions and that individual seeking treatment. It, persi- it persists. It's real. And and for some reason, men of color seem to be a little bit in denial about that. Can you share what that's about? What, what is, what is that about? Why is that that we don't seem to be able to embrace that reality
2: and then close that gap a little bit? Maybe. Uh, I think that's because, uh, I think that's because it's hard for black men, right? The everyday struggle being a black man in America is not an easy one. So, The the small uh, accumulation of more of the stressors being added. For some of us, it's just that's a bad day, that's a bad week, or hey, this isn't my year. I mean, a lot of us can say that about 2020 right now, right? So um, I think it just accumulates, it begins to snowball. And then by the time, like you said, that 10 year window, you have a a critical mess, right? And the the toothpaste is out of the tube at that point. So it's. I think for black men, we're we're used to heavy lifting. We're used to uh, carrying things on our shoulders. And it's it's an unfortunate phenomenon that we don't look at the mirror enough or early enough in this instance to really uh, try to dive in and see what's going on and why we might be feeling different. Why it's not just a bad day or a bad week.
3: Mm. Mm. I think, Michael, you were going to say something there
4: what I was going to say earlier that when when it comes when it came to me and my you know my earlier experiences you know with the with the faith community, I tried reaching out um more than once and um, if 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 some if someone um would listen, they 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 would they would only hear so much before they before they were ready to you know to expound on you know you know let's you know let's let's pray mm-hmm. uh you know let's let's call sister so and so in here you know you know you uh, know uh, it was it was all it was all it was always about salvation. But I always felt that I had salvation. I was I was baptized when I was young. I, I you know I, I was saved. I, I you know Jesus Christ has always been my savior. So I didn't feel that's not what I went there for. You know, and just like you said, I didn't know how to reach out for to, to mental health professionals at the time. I mean, it was just you know just no one no, no, no one in my you know in in, in my realm in my area whether I was in the civilian or military knew how to go, how to go about it. And then of course, um, you know, the the stigma of not wanting anybody to know, you know, uh, I was, I was, I was an administrator in in, in the army and so, 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 you know, people were watching me and people were depending on me. So I had to, I I felt that I had to be careful not to, not to let on because it, it, it might affect my career. Um, but, um, uh, later, but I now see that working with the faith community, I now see that there's 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 quite a difference in in in, in that they're talking within the churches that they're talking about mental health now. They're adding it to their ministries. Um, they're they're starting mental health programs, and, uh, and so, so in, in in most cases, that you know, they're small, but they're but 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 they're there for their community. So I think we're on our way. We're, we're
3: you I'm sorry, go ahead, please Dr. Well, I, I was just
0: just going to, I just wanted to speak to that because I think that with the uh the faith community um and I would say you know back then, um churches, particularly black churches, were geared towards speaking to the women because that was the most um, attendance and and not black men and and then when black men started started to attend um and to and to reach out. Uh, Like Michael would say, um, you can only go so far. It would, you know, once you felt safe and you started to share, it would go into, okay. well, we can't go into that because we don't know really what to do except pray for you and then send you on your way and not really deal with the issue at hand. So and then the other thing, you know, with that, uh, at least I'll speak for myself, is it was economics, you know, the black Family didn't have the funds to seek professional help. And we didn't know about any other resources that were pro bono or uh, that were subsidized or anything like that, because it was always this stigma of not wanting anybody to know. And we knew that whether it be in a church or we told somebody, you know, in confidence, when, when you got into a group, You didn't you were guarded about what you were going to share because you knew, even though it was supposed to be in confidence, that that information was going to get out. Mm.
1: This has been the Brother Be Well podcast. I'm Leon Guidry. Shout out to our sponsors, Sutter Health and the Sacramento County Division of Behavioral Health Services through the voter approved Proposition 63 Mental Health Services Act. And don't forget our goals to reduce disparities, remove stigma, heal trauma, and to end prolonged suffering. If you have feedback on today's episode, tweet us at BrotherBeWell or email info at BrotherBeWell.com. Click the subscribe button right now and plan to join us next time. Until then, be well, brothers.